This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. In this week's podcast, we're going to take a look at the parable of the talents, as told by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And in this story, I suggest Jesus offers us a choice where we can either live in the realm where we have to perform heroic deeds in order to be loved and accepted by God, or the realm where we are already loved and accepted by God and liberated so that we can live heroically. In responding to the text that Karen read to us, I I was sitting there thinking of a quote I saw this week from Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, it's almost impossible to teach someone something they believe they already know. And I think uh, that's one of the traps this particular text has for us. So as we hear this as 21st century North Americans of a capitalistic Western culture, we think these first two investors, as Karen said, were incredibly wonderful and wise and should be celebrated and honored for their great wisdom. They, they both brought back 100% profit. But we're the people that originally heard this story and that it was spoken to and written for were not 21st century North American Western Christians. They were first century Semitic peoples. And in that time and place, uh, the idea of getting 100% return on an investment would have been considered incredibly obscene and shameful uh, because that was just not done. In fact, the the whole idea of usury, which is what it was called uh, in the King James Version of the Bible, was legally and morally a violation. You were not allowed to charge interest on brothers and sisters because we're family and you don't exploit family. So the whole idea of making money off of the people that are your family was considered a great taboo. And so what could this story possibly be about, as Jesus tells it? I'm going to suggest, and I know I'm swimming upstream here, but that's the way I usually swim, so uh, you can take what I say with a grain of salt. But I read this story as Jesus is offering us an option of which realm do we want to live in? Because I think this story accurately portrays the realm of this world. If you perform well, you will be rewarded. If you do heroic deeds, you will be celebrated and rewarded. And if you want to read the story that way, you can. But if you're going to read the story that way, then God or Jesus comes off as a harsh master who expected return from where he or she didn't even plant is somewhat of a tyrant. Think Wizard of Oz. Before I'll give you what you want, you have to go get the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West and don't come back. 
to the great and powerful Oz until you do. That's the image that's presented of the master here. Is that a God that you want to come and worship? That will demand that you perform really, really well? And if you don't, you will be thrown out for the gnashing and wailing of teeth. Is that the God you come here to connect with? I'm going to tell you, it's not the God I'm looking for. And I think Jesus is saying that is the God of this world. If you measure up, if you perform, if you behave, if you do well, you'll get rewarded. If you don't, you'll be cast off like garbage. So that's one realm you can choose to live in if you want to. And I don't think it's the realm any of us would willfully choose. But we get seduced by it. Our, you know, we, our web pages and newspapers are filled with all those wonderful investors that get five bags of gold back or two get bags of gold back. The winners of all the athletic games and the elections and the business investments. These are all the people that are heralded and triumphed in our culture. And everyone else is second place. I was, I saw the thing, oh, Tim Scott, is he the, the man running for president in the GOP? He said he's not running to be vice president because you're either president or you're, that's the first loser. And that's the world we live in, that whole kind of thinking. Winners and losers. And I think Jesus has portrayed that world, that realm, very accurately and clearly in this parable. But the whole life, the context, the teaching, the living of Jesus is totally opposite to all of that. And where I came to this was actually when I was working as a hospice chaplain, I was on a memory unit up in Medford. And, and memory units, if you've not been in, sometimes they can be a little unnerving or scary because there's a bunch of people walking around in different mental universes than you are dwelling, and you have to question your own mental am I, am I the one that's really grounded here, or am I the one that should be? Uh, in a lockdown unit. You, you, you can question yourself. Well, anyway, it was my early days of chaplaincy and I was in one of these memory units, which for me at the time was a little unnerving. I was supposed to go see a, a gentleman named Frank. I call him Frank. And uh, in, in, in those days, I had to take a computer with me so that I could get an electronic signature from somebody working at the memory unit that would verify to my employers and to Medicare that I actually did show up to visit this person. And so they had to secure an electronic signature. So after sitting dutifully for my 15 or 20 minutes with Frank, who was in a green Oregon Ducks sweatshirt that had crumbs all over it from breakfast, and Frank was not communicative at all. He was sort of in a fetal position in a chair with his head on a pillow and he was oblivious to my presence, but I dutifully sat there for about 15, 20 minutes just praying for him, and then I opened my computer up to get the aforementioned electronic signature to prove to everybody that I had actually been there, and I saw a sign 
or a, a message from the computer. In all 17 years I worked as a chaplain, this is the one and only time I ever saw this message when I opened a computer, and it was incredibly unnerving. It said, fatal error. Your laptop will not come out of hibernation. And I thought, there is nothing about that that sounds good. <laughs> fatal error. Now that's, you're, and, and I thought, not only will my laptop not come out of hibernation, this dear man Frank I've come to see cannot come out of hibernation. And so I had to just turn the, you know, reboot the whole thing, hoping it would come back up, which was unnerving because at that time the computer systems were so old it would take 10 minutes or so because of all the security, because of the medical information. It, it all that had to run, it was a, like a 10 minute deal to reboot the stinking laptop. So here I am stuck, I've already done my duty, and I'm stuck sitting here waiting for this stinking computer to do what it's supposed to do, and hopefully it'll do it. And I just stopped and I really started to look at Frank. I mean really look at him, not just out of duty, not a task to be performed, but here was a man sitting in a chair and I had known that this man had, had been a Baptist or something for like 50 years, been an elder at his church. I think he had been a runner, uh, very athletic as a young man. And here he is now sitting in an Oregon Duck sweatshirt with an Oregon Duck hat, crumbs all over him, can't talk. And I'm sitting there. And I, as I started just to really pray for him, and I mean really pray for him, all of a sudden music came on out of a boombox. It just sort of came on. And it was someone singing Everything is Beautiful by Ray Stevens. Jesus loves the little children. But, but I knew, because I, I knew the, the voice wasn't Ray Stevens, and so I'm sitting there, who is singing this? And I'm sitting there doing this, and one of the aides that works in the place goes, oh, that's Roger Whittaker singing that. And I'm going, how did she even know what I was thinking? I was like, oh. And so all of that, when things like that happen to me, I stop what I'm doing because like this is, all right, all right, I'm not the brightest knife in the drawer, but something's going on here to get my attention. The universe is calling. And so I'm listening to Jesus loves the little children, all the little children in the world as I'm praying for this man and truly trying to see him. And the thought hit me. What if the dementia that we're so terrified of was really a gift to him, really a blessing? And here's why I thought that. In our culture, of all the people I've, I've visited, more than 3,000 folks as a hospice chaplain. And without question, the number one terror of every one of them, it's what I call the great American mortal sin. The more, whether you're religious or not, in America, there is a mortal sin. And it is to be a burden to others. It is to be needy. Everybody I've ever met is terrified of that. Because in our culture, as the parable of Jesus laid out, if you're not making money or spending money, you have no value. You are a commodity. And in our culture, 
You're either making money or spending money. Otherwise, there's, we want nothing to do with you and we put you away, out of sight. And the, the dementia this man was enduring spared him the terror of feeling like he had to produce or spend. He was liberated from the terror of being a burden and being needy because he didn't even know who he was or where he was. So I, I wondered that. And, and so I'm listening. Jesus loves the little children, all the little children in the world, either yellow, black, or white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children in the world, whether they're producing or not producing, whether they're making money, whether they get five more bags of gold, two bags of gold, doesn't matter. Jesus just loves. That's the realm of God that we can live in if we choose, or we can live in the realm of this world where we have to perform in order to be loved and accepted, or we could choose to be in the realm of God where we can be realize and experience love and acceptance as to so liberate us that we could really live. Our world, the world portrayed in this parable, is one that values people by what they can produce. Jesus, by all that he said and did and taught and lived, seemed to love and accept people just because they were they were alive. They were just people. Which realm do we want to live into? That, I think, is the question this parable leaves us with. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in the realm of God that Jesus was talking about, he says, this is sort of the big conclusion that he's coming to. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns or bring five bags of gold back for five bags, five more bags of gold or two more bags of gold. They just fly and do what they do. And yet your heavenly creator the one who made us, loves them and feeds them. And are not you much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying over your investments or your performance, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't work or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow and doesn't bring back 100% yield on investments, will he not do so much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the unbelievers run after all these things. And your creator knows that you need them. But seek the realm of God and God's connection. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries for itself. 
That's the realm that Jesus offers us. And so the question this morning, as we sit here and hear, which realm do you want to live in? The realm where you have to perform heroic deeds in order to be loved and accepted? Or the realm where you're already loved and accepted so that you might be liberated to go live heroic?